Let us worship God. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the message which we heard from him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Let us pray. We come to thee, our Father, according to thy word, and confident in prayer. For thou hast commanded that we should come to thee, to cast our every care upon thee, and to make all our wants and wishes known to thee through Jesus Christ. And so we come. We pray, our Father, for our country. Deliver us from the hands of ungodly men. Cleanse us and make us again a godly and a free people. We pray for thy suffering saints the world over, that thou wouldst deliver them and confound the powers of humanistic statism. Bless us in faithfulness to thee, and grant now that by thy word and by thy spirit we may behold wondrous things out of thy law. In Jesus' name, amen. Our scripture lesson is from Isaiah, the sixth chapter. Isaiah 6, our subject, the seraphim. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each had six wings, with twain he covered his face, And with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth, and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips. And thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed. But understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. 
Make the heart of this people fat and make their ears heavy and shut their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed. Then said I, Lord, how long? And he answered, Until the cities be wasted without inhabitant and the houses without man and the land be utterly desolate. And the Lord have removed men far away, and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. <clears throat> but yet in it shall be a tenth, and it shall return and shall be eaten, as a teal tree and as an oak whose substance is in them. When they cast their leaves, so the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. Our subject this morning is the seraphim. I wish my voice were up to the subject, but we'll do the best we can in spite of this very bad chest cold. The seraphim appear only once in the entire Bible in this chapter. The word here translated as I saw the Lord also uh, sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. That word temple can also be translated as palace. And by some scholars such as E.J. Young and J.A. Alexander it was, in fact, so translated. This is a vision of the throne, of the palace of the universe, and the King, the Lord of hosts, high and lifted up. The remarkable fact is that above it stood the seraphim. They are human in appearance, but each one had six wings. We meet with a seraphim nowhere else. But very obviously the seraphim are of paramount importance because they are throne attendants and their position is above the throne, above God. Above it stood the seraphim. Now, throne attendants, first of all, do not have very much significance in the world today because the throne in monarchies that exist is by and large meaningless. Monarchs are, for the most part, ornamental, symbolic, and hence a courtier no longer is someone next to the throne to whom is delegated a vast amount of power. But this chapter is not talking about throne attendants 
or courtiers in any modern sense. Here is the throne of the government of the universe. And anyone next to the throne obviously has power. Then second, a very critical point is this. We will raise it now and then return to it later. In any court throughout history, the throne attendants or courtiers were always on a lower level. The king looked down upon them. As a matter of fact, an item of considerable protocol in Japan over the decades has been the fact that the emperor is short. And we have had a bad habit of sending particularly tall men to Japan as our ambassadors, especially just prior to World War II. It was a way of insulting the Japanese. It created problems when the ambassador was presented at court because he was so tall. Thus, over the generations, over the centuries, it has been important that the throne be above the courtiers and certainly all others who come to the throne of government. But here we encounter the seraphim and we are plainly told above the throne stood the seraphim. So the seraphim clearly stood above God. R.K. Harrison has said of the seraphim that they were an order of angelic beings responsible for guardianship and worship. Also, that they exercised an atoning ministry, as in verses 5 through 7, when he is purged of his sins and his iniquity is taken away by the action of one of the seraphim. The seraphim thus are clearly ministers of state for the government of the whole universe. The cherubim, whom we studied last week, are under God, and he is depicted as riding upon the cherubim. In Psalm 18.10, God is portrayed as enthroned upon the cherubim, and also in 1 Samuel 4, 4 and many another verses. He is seated on the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies between the cherubim. But the seraphim are above God. They thus have a higher function than the cherubim. 
even the ungodly king of Tyre could be compared to the cherubim because he exercised authority and government and all who do so are compared to the cherubim by scripture but no human being is compared to the seraphim neither in their function nor in their station the seraphim in Isaiah 6 are portrayed giving an antiphonal praise and worship of God one cried unto another and said holy 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 is the Lord of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory E.J. Young among others has translated the second part of their antiphonal cry the fullness of the earth is his glory Young calls attention to the fact that there is in theology a distinction made between God's essential glory and his glory is revealed in creation and then Young noted what is God's glory it is the revelation of his attributes by regarding the universe which he has created we behold his glory his perfection and his attributes the revelation of God in the created universe his declarative glory is sufficient to convince men of God's holiness righteousness and justice as well as of his almighty power so that man is without excuse with respect to the same phrase the fullness of the earth of the whole earth Calvin commented and I quote literally it is the fullness of the whole earth which might be an understood to refer to the fruits and animals and manifold riches with which God has enriched the earth and might convey this meaning that in the ornaments and great variety of furniture of the world the glory of God shines because they are so many proofs of a father's love but the more simple and natural interpretation is that the glory of God fills the whole earth or is spread through every region of the earth there is also I think an implied contrast by which he put down the foolish boasting of the Jews who thought that the glory of God was nowhere to be seen but among themselves and wished to have it shut up within their own temple but Isaiah shows that it is so far from being confined to so narrow limits that it fills the whole earth and to this agrees the prophecy which immediately follows in verse 10 about the blinding of the peoples which opened up for the Gentiles admission unto the church of God 
for they occupied that place which the Jews had forsaken and left empty, unquote. One can say that Calvin's statement could be applied today to the nations and to churches which seem to feel that the glory of God and the fullness of his revelation is limited to their church or to their people or their race and so we have the same sin repeated this praise of God by the seraphim calls attention to the transcendent and total power and authority of God the creator king the purification and atonement exercised by the seraphim is not an independent function. They are attendants of the throne. They govern who approaches the throne, and God's terms require atonement before man approaches God. The commission to Isaiah in verses 9 through 13 is judgment, captivity, and then the restoration of a remnant is to be proclaimed. The preparation is purging and atonement for Isaiah and for the people. Now, the role of the cherubim, which we studied last week, is oriented to history and to man. The cherubim guarded the gates of paradise after man's fall. Under their power and authority, Man is to move to paradise regained to a new world under God. Every man who exercises authority, whether it be in his home or on the job or wherever every one of us are, men and women alike, where we exercise authority, we are functioning as the cherubim of God. Thus the authority of the cherubim is history and time oriented. It summons us to develop the meaning of God's covenant with man. The cherubim are providential powers and men who exercise God-ordained authority are compared to the cherubim so that we are called to work wherever we have authority as the cherubim of God. But the seraphim are shown standing above the throne and the focus thus is God-centered, theocratic and eternal. The king of Tyre and men without faith are compared to cherubim because of their office and their opportunities. And, but no man is compared to the seraphim. And even Isaiah, God's prophet, must be purged when he stands before the, seraph, the throne. This the seraphim do. All men, let me repeat, who have authority, great or small, must work as God's cherubim 
to exercise authority, dominion, and judgment, to be a blessing in God's kingdom and creation. The seraphim symbolize and represent God's authority in its essence, which is total in its holiness and visible in the fullness of the whole earth. God's throne represents his absolute rule over all creation. And the fact that the seraphim stand above the throne tell us that the focus of all authority is above all creation and above every other creature, including the seraphim, uh, cherubim. Isaiah, seeing the throne and seeing God upon it, seeing the seraphim and hearing them, cries out, I am undone, which means I am reduced to silence or it can also mean I am reduced to death, for I have seen God, I who am a sinner. And the fact of man's sin, his membership in a fallen humanity, means a death sentence in the presence of God. But Isaiah is cleansed, he is purged, he finds atonement, and then his calling. The regenerative power of God comes out of the nature and the being and the authority of God. The generating power of God, which alone gives men the power to exercise valid and faithful authority comes from the highest point in the being of God, in the government of God, from above the throne, from the level, as it were, of the head of God. From out of the throne, we are told that judgment proceeds in Revelation 4, 5. But from above the throne, from absolute and eternal headship, from the highest rank of authority, from the highest point of power, atonement and regeneration proceed. Atonement thus and regeneration manifest God's grace, authority, and power. And it tells us how, when we are in God's covenant, what is the high point of the manifestation of God toward us? It is His grace and His atoning power his regenerating mercy unto man, so that this for us who are in the covenant of God is the essence of God's relationship to us. Therefore we can say with Paul, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation.
to everyone that believeth. Let us pray. O Lord our God, we thank Thee for Thy word. We thank Thee that the seraphim set forth for us Thy relationship to us as atonement and regeneration, as mercy. Give us grace ever to walk in Thy covenant so that we may know Thy regenerating power that we might manifest it to the ends of the earth, that we as thy people might be a people of the atonement, of blessing, and of mercy. Bless us to this purpose in Jesus' name. Amen. We have a couple of things I'd like to announce. This from Howard Phillips. He calls attention to the fact that it is time to separate church and state in this country because right now left-wing churches are getting federal funds. I'll read just one counsel, uh, one uh, paragraph of this documentation. The World Council of Churches, fervent supporter of third world pro-Moscow terrorist movements and communist regimes, has been both a direct and indirect beneficiary of the U.S. government. The Church World Services program of the National Council of Churches which is associated with the World Council, received at least 12917375 dollars in federal funds from the Department of State and the Agency for International Development during 1979-81. During the fiscal year 1981, the Department of State gave $3 million $89,555 directly to the World Council. AID granted an additional $10,105,528 to Church World Service between 1982 and 83. The National Council of Churches itself received $1,388,775 from various U.S. government agencies during 1978 to 81, and so on and on. So, at the same time they are interfering with our freedom, they are financing left-wing churches. Then this statement by the Negro pastor, the Reverend E.V. Hill of Watts, Los Angeles. I quote, There is an antagonism on the part of governmental agencies toward the church. The Department of Redevelopment of downtown L.A. redeveloped Los Angeles to accommodate 50,000 more citizens, but they made sure no more churches. They're zoned out of existence.
one good thing, the Democrats, to gain support, passed the Church Audit Act about a week or so ago, or a matter of days ago, so that the IRS cannot walk in and seize the books and assets of any church without having good evidence that there is some wrongdoing there which is acceptable to a judge. Then we need immediate action because this new Civil Rights Act, which will give total control over everything any church, any business, any individual does or can do, has passed the House and is before the Senate. So do call the Capitol Request your senator's office. The number is 202-224-3121. And ask him to vote no on the civil rights of 1984. Now, to give you an idea of the power this means uh, they can have, you remember Lester Maddox some years ago had a restaurant and he discriminated. Whether we agree with discrimination or not is beside the point. The federal government closed the restaurant on the grounds it had jurisdiction in terms of the Interstate Commerce Act. Because he had salt on the table which had come by interstate commerce, therefore they could control everything in the restaurant. Now the same pretext will be used on every individual, on every little business, and on every church. This is a dictatorship act. If you do not have the number, give Joanna a call tomorrow and get it, and do call the Senate. Are there any questions now in our lesson? Yes. I have two questions. One uh, related to uh, verse 13 and chapter 6. Uh, what is it meant by, and shall return and shall be eaten? Yes. Shall return uh, when it is returned and hath been bruised is a better translation there. Uh, that is, it's going to go into captivity. It's going to be devoured, as it were. It's going to be punished. But it is going to survive. So, uh, it can mean eaten, but it means they're going to be consumed by suffering, but they're going to be delivered, a tenth of them. Other questions related to um, <clears throat> uh, the angels. Where do the angels uh, uh, fall within the scheme of uh, of order of created beings other than man? Yes, to the, the seraphim and <clears throat> cherubim. The angels are definitely not on the level of the seraphim or cherubim. They are declared to be ministering spirits unto man so that they are 
below men. Now, one psalm sp speaks of them as a little lower, man as a little lower than the angels. That's a mistranslation. So, uh, angels are ministering spirits to men. Yes? When you say lower, is that in not, not, necessar not necessarily in terms of their created uh, abilities, but in terms of their authority? In terms of status, yes. Yes. When Calvin says that uh, God hated Jesus Christ, at the same time loved him, did he mean that he hated the sins that Jesus Christ took on? Yes, because we are told that in the atonement, the literal words of scripture are, he was made sin for us. In other words, he in his own person took upon himself the sin of all the elect from the beginning to the end of time and became, as it were, sin in his person while still being God the Son. So, in himself, as the epitome of all the sins, summing it up, he faced the wrath, the judgment, and the death penalty of God. Any other questions or comments? If not, let us bow our heads in prayer. Thy word, O Lord, is truth, and thy word is strength and peace to our hearts, mind, and being. Empower us by thy spirit that we may go forth to serve thee faithfully. And now go in peace, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost bless you and keep you, guide and protect you, this day and always. Amen.